Last week, Texas Governor Abbott uh, signed Senate Bill 4, which would make it a crime for those seeking asylum in the United States to cross into Texas, punishable, punishable of up to 10 years in prison. I'm joined today by uh, Virginia Raymond, who is an immigration lawyer from Austin, Texas, to discuss this law and the overall situation on the southern border. Virginia, good morning, and thank you for being on the show. Good morning, Tony. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, thank you. This is not the first time that uh, Governor Abbott has attempted to thumb his nose at the Biden administration. Uh, Of course, the first time or one of the first times had to do with the installation of uh, of barbed wire and also uh, the putting of floating barriers across the Rio Grande. Um, And uh, the Biden administration, of course, the federal government is charged with enforcing immigration law. What of the Biden administration's response to uh, this latest uh, attempt by Governor Abbott to uh, supersede federal law? Well, um, I'm I'm sure that the Biden administration is is very much um, opposed to it. Um, but the lawsuit that was filed the day after Abbott's signing was actually um, to enjoin to prevent this law and to going into effect was actually filed by an, um, the El Paso County and two um, nonprofit organizations. So um, I hope the Justice Department gets um, gets with it and also joins this lawsuit to prevent enforcement of SB4, Senate Bill 4. But um, really, it's the, um, it's the private actors who have taken the lead on stopping it. Those, those are Las Americas, Immigrant um, Rights Center in El Paso, and American Gateways, which is um, in Austin, Texas, have both, um, as well as El Paso itself, have filed um, the lawsuit uh, against Abbott and this law. To prevent this law. What exactly does uh, Senate Bill 4 uh, set out to do? It does some extraordinarily bad things, <laughs> unprecedented things. The first thing that it does is it creates three new state-level crimes. One is for entering Texas uh, without authorization from another country, and that is a misdemeanor punishable by up to six months. The second is for re-entering Texas without authorization, and so that would apply to people who have been previously denied entry or have been previously removed or deported from the United States and then come in to Texas, and that's punishable by 10 to 20 years, so it's a felony. Um, And another is for staying in Texas after what is purporting to be or would purport to be under this new law a deportation order from a state court judge, and that is punishable by 2 to 20 years. So those are the new laws, the new criminal laws that have been created or purported to create by this bill, but what what is um, all, what the bill also does is gives authority to state law enforcement to arrest, detain, and even to deport people um, from the United States via Texas, and um, that's you know the ability to deport people is extraordinary. We've seen other other state attempts especially in Arizona, to um, have local or state police uh, arrest and detain people. And so that's a repeat of that uh, 
fiasco in Arizona, but the idea of deporting people, the state officials deporting people, is brand new. That's um, an extraordinarily terrible and unconstitutional. That was another question I had. It's like, what's um, if this happens in Texas, what's going to happen in Arizona? Would Do you think Arizona would follow suit, or would we see an increase of uh, folks trying to cross through the Arizona-U.S. border? Well, that's a really great and interesting question, and um, uh, it might be that we see both. Um, Arizona had, in, in 2010, passed that Show Me Your Papers law that was extraordinarily bad and mm-hmm. was struck by the Supreme Court in 2012. Um, and so a lot of people think, well, the Supreme Court should strike it again as unconstitutional it, because it violates this concept of preemption when the federal government um, is in charge of a particular activity and sets laws for instance about immigration then the states shouldn't be trying to get involved in that because we could have a situation where 18 or 48 or 50 states each try to create their own laws which would result in total chaos so the supreme court in 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 2012 struck the arizona law that was a version of what uh, Texas has now enacted in SB4, but the Supreme Court is different now than it was in 2012. And so I don't think we can necessarily count on the same decision, unfortunately. We have lost three of the people who struck mm-hmm. the, the Arizona law, um, Justices Kennedy, Ginsburg, and Breyer. Um, so... And That's they, bad news yes. for us. <laughs> it's bad news overall for a, on a lot of issues because uh, they've been replaced by three Trump appointees, right? Which is a right. Stu- which is a, a shame in itself. Um, with uh, it's been estimated about two and a half million people have crossed the border in 2023. Um, in immigration and the situation on the border, it's become the third most important issue for voters in the run up to the 2024 election. Can you tell us what exactly is going on? What is the situation from where you're sitting on the border? So I am actually sitting in Austin, and um, so the border is long. Um, The closest border uh, city to me is Laredo. And, um, I mean, it's just tragic. People are hungry. People are living in desperate situations when you... You know, and and to some extent, the the crisis, um, you know, and I put that in quotation marks, is real, and in in some part, it's manufactured, right? So when you keep people out for a long time, like when you dam a river, then it's gonna there's going to be a buildup, um, which would you know, make it look like there's more water coming across than mm-hmm. than if you didn't dam it. So that's true with people as well, and so. All of these um, means to try to stop people coming create, um, you know, a buildup of people and the so-called surge. But that being said, the situation is one of a humanitarian crisis. It's not. It's it's not a crisis in terms of. Um, danger to the United States, but it is a, mm-hmm. a crisis in terms of danger to the people who are trying to enter the United States um, for a variety of compelling reasons that it's 
very hard to imagine any human being um, sitting in comfort or relative comfort in the United States facing those situations and not trying to save themselves or save their families. Mm-hmm. So from whether that be from persecution um, in a lot of different countries or whether that is starvation mm-hmm. or war, you know. Right. Um, so, so the situation is a humanitarian crisis, and Abbott is um, Governor Abbott, and um, others are, you know, playing politics with this and uh, trying to pit people in the United States against each other. Like, you know, for instance, with the with the games, the very cruel games of busing and now flying people to Chicago, for instance, or earlier in the year flying people to Massachusetts and trying to gain, you know, political points Mm -hmm. by trying to be so-called tough on immigration. Um, It's it's desperately cruel. Right. Now we could say that the dam was was, uh, put up uh, under the Trump administration. Biden came in and he kind of... um opened up the dam, if you will, a little bit, and that's why it appears the way it is. What about mainstream media coverage of the issue on the border? I mean, uh, almost every uh, nightly newscast uh, will have a story about what's going on on the border. And, of course, uh, Republican opponents of the Biden administration's uh, policies um, are, are talking it up as well. Um, what of... Uh, the portrayal of the situation on the border by the media? Well, I mean, the language that is used, the surge, for instance. I mean, the words, the verbs, the characterization of uh, immigrants, you know, seeking safety is as pejorative as it can be. And it keeps being presented as a danger, um, as a threat. And that's just not what's happening. Um, and so, you know, when you people are motivated by fear, and fear can be stoked, and that's what's happening. It's the media and a number of politicians, some of which, you know, some some of them maybe maybe don't know better, but I think a lot of it is quite cynical and deliberate. It's uh, stoking fear for political purposes, for political gain. And um, to make themselves look, quote unquote, tough or you know serious and 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 so forth. But it's um, it's you know we need to look through that. We need mm-hmm. to look at the words that people are using and say, you know, what exactly about this is threatening me? And I think that you'll find that there, there is no threat to uh, people living in the United States, except that posed by, for instance, racial profiling, except. Um, which is absolutely going to increase uh, once SB4 goes into effect. Um, it's going to hurt people who appear to be immigrants, whether that is because of their skin color, whether that is because of the language they're speaking or the accents with which they're speaking. It's going to make life more dangerous um, for people in the United States. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, why the county of El Paso is suing to enjoin, to prevent enforcement of this law. Police departments um, in, you know, police and law enforcement who want to focus, (laughs) you know, if, if they're at all reasonable, and this is true in most places in Texas, they want to focus on actual crimes, actual mm-hmm. danger to 
human beings. And so part of what's important in that is that you have the whole community behind you. You have people being able to report crimes when crimes occur, when acts of violence, especially those against other human beings, occur. You want people to be able to report that to the police. And you want the police to enjoy the trust, (laughs) to the extent possible, of the communities. Now when you have SB4 and police can ask somebody, you know, where are you from? How did you enter, you know, Texas and ask all these questions? That's going to hurt public security. It's going to make police less effective at their jobs of going against people who are committing acts of violence against the community. That's right. I was going to bring I was going to bring that up that many sheriffs and police forces say they don't have the resources to enforce this new law. Uh, of course, it's set to take effect in March, right? Um, right, March fifth. Right. So, oh. so it's both. One is one is that it would, if police and law enforcement are actually going to enforce it, it would take resources away from you know actual <laughs> policing in terms of trying to prevent or um, deal with crime, and and secondly, it reduces the likelihood that immigrants. Or including people who have immigrants, you know, mixed families of mixed status, um, you know, U.S. citizens, anybody wanting police to come around and investigate. So people are going to be less likely to report um, crimes to mm-hmm. the police. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are led to believe that most of the people trying to cross the border are Mexicans or, or from South America. Uh, it, they would be very surprised to see there's people coming from Africa and Uzbekistan and places like that. What of that? I mean, people obviously don't uh, get on rafts or swim across the ocean to get here. What of the what of the business of 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 transporting people who are looking for asylum in other countries or the United States? What of those folks? What of that business? What do you know of that? I mean, it must somebody must be making money off of uh, uh, people coming from across the ocean to get uh, uh, to, to get to the southern border of the United States. I mean, we know they're making money already from people in, uh, in, Latin, in South America and Central America, but uh, what of that and what of looking at those people who are making money off of uh, the migrant movement? So this is a really uh, complicated question or set of questions, and I almost don't know where to begin. Um, yes, there are people who are making money um, exploiting migrants. Exploiting vulnerable people is, you know, a, a recipe for making money, and it has been for hundreds of years, thousands maybe, and um, people will do that. They make money off of vulnerable people. That said, um, some of my own clients who have come from, um, for instance, Cameroon or from um, the you know, the the Democratic Republic of the Congo or from Guinea, they're, you know, have not necessarily paid coyotes or others. Um, sometimes, you know, they raise money <laughs> from friends and family mm-hmm. to get them out of Dodge right. when they're being persecuted. Um, and a lot of people come, I'm sure you've probably seen maybe other people have seen and heard about the Darien Gap, you know, when people have to travel through South America 
um, then and then through up to Central America and then through Mexico to the United States. These are horrific, horrific, um, dangerous journeys through the jungle. Wild animals. There are people preying on migrants who are forced to take this route. Um, so, you know, there are the people who actually charge money to be guides or coyotes, and then there are people who attack immigrants along the way, yes. attack migrants as they're transporting. I don't even know how you would begin. <laughs> to, and, and, and that's not even to speak of perhaps bribery. I mean, it would be, that would be a huge project to mm-hmm. figure out how much money and who is making the money um, by exploiting uh, migrants, but it's certainly, you know, yes, something. I, and like other uh, victimless crimes, right? Migration is a victimless crime um, for the most part, except for people who are doing it to um, trafficking people, for example, to exploit them um, for various in various ways. Um, when you penalize a. a, a a victimless crime, what you do is you create, you know, uh, the situation in which people can make a lot of money off of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, it's, yeah, I, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I had on um, some recent arrivals from Venezuela who were staying at a safe house here at the Catholic Workers Center uh, that uh, explained uh, what was going on and the, as they had to cross the Darien Gap themselves. So, um, we've, we've, we've listened to that. And one of the stories that they said, they said that they had guides. But uh, they would camp for the night, and the guides would leave, and then they'd be back the next day, kind of showing that the guides were actually misleading them or taking them around in circles, making it a little bit longer than it needed to be. Right. Um, right. There was also an interesting story about someone, and about youth now, um, who are recording uh, their travels uh, through the Darien Gap on social media, and this one guy who made it to the United States, he recorded it all, and he made so much money off of his video that he said he went back to Venezuela. I, I, I mean, it's it's yeah. it's, it's, it's really it's crazy, not a funny right? situation. It's a crazy situation. All right, now the Biden administration uh, just the other day sent uh, Senator or Secretary of State Blinken and, um, and um, his immigration guy, uh, can't think of his name now, to meet with Mexican President Obrador. Uh, they met yesterday. And right. uh, they're asking, of course, Mexico to help out with enforcement and whatever. And it was interesting that uh, President Obrador said, well, maybe if you release, uh, if you uh, relieved uh, and eased up on your sanctions against uh, Cuba and uh, Venezuela and uh, in helping to create that economic mess in both of those countries, uh, that people might stay there. Um, what do you think about uh, Mexico's response and what Mexico's responsibilities are uh, in terms of uh, the situation on the U.S.-Mexico border? Well, um, <laughs> uh, the situation is so complicated that I, I can't say that AMLO um, was wrong um, because there certainly is a great deal of, there's an economic crisis in both Venezuela and Cuba <clears throat> that's been ongoing for a long time. Sorry, I have this cough that happens when I talk about immigration. I should have thought about this before I agreed to do this show. It's a stress cough. but um, That's quite all right. I'm, I'm not doing that well myself, so don't worry about it. And our, our listeners are used to you. that. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, there are a lot 
lots and lots of factors that contribute to um, migration, whether that be lawful migration or unlawful migration, migration push or migration pull. So, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, certainly some people leave Cuba and Venezuela for economic reasons, as they do other countries mm-hmm. where there where there's troubling economic situations, but uh, but it, that's not the only reason. And I mean, does Mexico have a responsibility to keep people from coming through Mexico to the United States? I find that a troubling notion, especially if these are asylum seekers, right? Mexico also has responsibilities under international law not to deport people to come to places where they are going to face persecution. Mm-hmm. Um, Mexico also has responsibilities to treat people as human beings. Um, Mexico is not or should not be a junior partner mm-hmm. in uh, listening to the marching orders from the United States. So I, you know, I'm troubled by that notion in the first place, um, that Mexico should somehow, and it has, I mean, Mexico does do things to hinder asylum seekers and other migrants, but does it have a responsibility to do so? I don't, you know, I, I'm not seeing where that comes from. It's just my opinion. Right. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, I just listening this morning on uh, public radio about uh, Democratic congressman from Texas, Vincente Gonzalez, who's um, yeah. we're even starting to see Democratic uh, uh, politicians uh, be critical of the situation on the border. And I mean, whose responsibility is this? They're blaming it on Biden, but isn't it Congress who should be? enacting laws and coming up with a plan for what to do on the border? Right. Well, certainly the president has a role, and so does the legislative branch. And the legislative branch should be primarily responsible for making laws. And we have been talking about um, immigration, so-called reform, for decades and decades and decades, and increasing paths to legal um, to legalization, to regularization. And yes, um, we used to, a few years in a row, came close, you know, um, almost like Lucy with the football and Charlie Brown. And you're like, you think it's going to happen, and it's not happened. The football is taken away at the last moment. And Charlie Brown falls in his face and doesn't get to kick. You know, the, the year after year after year, we thought we were going to see some kind of immigration reform, and I I use that term up with a little bit of trepidation because it means different things to different people, but um, about trying to regularize the status of people who've been here for many years, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, That all said, I think that Biden is going in the wrong direction on a lot of things. I'm also critical of him. He's Mm -hmm. trying to adopt um, or has adopted, although it's sort of stalled in the courts, thank goodness, but some of the worst ideas of Trump, like, you know, really reducing the ability of people to get asylum if they, um, you know, mm-hmm. when they get here, trying to ban asylum, essentially, for people who pass through any other country. So, you know, um, Biden it's- is not as bad as the previous administration, but he is adopting. This is the problem with really bad ideas. They become normalized. 
Tell me about and, it. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I, so, anyway. Yeah, I don't want to bring up Trump too much, but um, there is a slight, well, there's a possibility that um, he may be the uh, uh, the Republican yeah. candidate for president, whether he's in jail or not, which I wish would happen sooner. Uh, but it, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, during his administration, there were a lot of these play soldier militia groups who uh, decided, uh, took it upon themselves to patrol the border. Is that still a thing? I mean, I also understand that Trump's uh, much-touted wall that he bu- built is it's actually being breached. People are, people are coming there yes. with uh, construction uh, sawzalls. It's just sawing right through the metal, and uh, his his wall is, is not working. First of all, people should know that. But what right. about the presence of these uh, right-wing militia groups who are taking it upon themselves to patrol the border? Um, you know, I haven't heard about as much about them right now, and... Uh, that may be because right now the vigilantes are in the governor's mansion, right? The vigilante in chief, uh, Greg Abbott, has been sending uh, since 21 uh, Texas National Guard to so-called, you know, to the border mm-hmm. um, in ways that are destructive to those communities, in ways that are very awful for immigrants, migrants, and ways that are awful for those national. Uh, National Guard troops themselves. Mm-hmm. In, in 2021, there were four reported suicides. That's not what people who sign up for the National Guard need to be doing. That's not what they want to be doing. They are. How is it? You know, da- how is it damaging for the communities? It's damaging to have a military presence in the middle of your community. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not what makes a comfortable, happy community um, to have military everywhere. That's right. that's not, um, you know, it's like an occupying force. All right. Well, um, I, I'd hate to <laughs> I hate to end on such a negative note. So, what what do you foresee happening in the next year in terms of the situation on the border? Um. Well, how about what would you think, what would you like to see? <laughs> okay. Um, well, I think it's really great, for instance, that the the county of El Paso has joined together with two um, advocacy advocacy groups for immigrants to say this is not what we want. This is not healthy for us, and we are. Um, I'm hopeful that they will be successful in the federal courts, although. Whether or not they do, the fact that we have communities coming together with activists, nonprofits, legal service providers, immigrant-run organizations themselves, that organization is 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 wonderful and happy. Mm-hmm. And whether they win in the courts or not, they will ultimately prevail. I've got to believe that. Because these ideas are so stupid and because they are not wanted by anybody. The... Um, Gabbett's um, game of not game it's it's a it's a deadly game of Operation Lone Star, which is those boys and that razor wire and concertina wire and webbing in the river is all part of that initiative has has been soundly criticized by many many different people and you know the city of Eagle Pass like we don't we don't want this here you know mm-hmm. people don't. People don't want it. The people who live along the border are not the ones crying out to be, quote-unquote, protected mm-hmm. <laughs> by any, quote-unquote, surge of migrants. Um, people right. see what's up. People, people see what's up. And so I would have to say that, as with every 
um, just issue of justice organizing is the answer. All right. Uh, Virginia Raymond, uh, immigration attorney and advocate in Austin, Texas. I want to thank you very much. I guess uh, entering a new year, maybe may, may we have a new year of the end of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> An end of cruel. Uh, Tony, it's been a total pleasure. All right. Thank you very much for being on the thank show. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye.